Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. For artists Devin Allen, Eric Gottesman, and Rick Lowe, art is inextricable from community. As a photographer, Allen's ethic considers what he owes his subjects. Gottesman's Four Freedoms Project uses art to engage with citizenship, and Lowe's Project Row Houses embrace the art of community development. As director of the Southside Community Art Center, the Saqua Myers orchestrates connections between residents of Chicago's Bronzeville neighborhood and art. The four discuss the stakes of the relationship between artists and communities as Philip Brookman moderates in this panel conversation at the John Wilmerding Symposium on American Art, American Communities Then and Now, held on February 8, 2019. I wanted to start um, by uh, thinking about uh, the idea of community. And one of the things that uh, Masekwa said about the Southside Community Arts Center, which you know, I certainly understood from all the research I did about the center. So I wondered if, if each of you could very quickly talk about, you know, that idea of the, your hand on the pulse of the community, uh, you know, based on your own sense of community, and how you do that. I mean, how do you keep your hand on the pulse of the community? So uh, do you want to start and just... Let's see, oh, just, I can. Yeah, yeah uh, just, and, you and know. lovingly. Is Masequa. Masequa. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Masequa. Most people want to say Masequa, and I understand but, that because of English vowel system. Exactly. Masequa. Okay. Already. <sighs> Philip and I were talking earlier, and on the break, and one of the funders asked me a question almost uh, three and a half years ago when they were considering giving Southside Community Arts Center some capacity growth money. And we did get the grant. I jumped to the end of the story because that wasn't the point. The point was a question that I was asked in that conversation. And the question was, what is my definition of community? And I kind of immediately knew where he was going, so I thought. And I, I wound up being correct. And I talked about, for me, I wish I was prepared for that question, but it, it worked. For me, community means two things. There's the definition of community in terms of uh, logistically, you know, the proximity in which you closely live with someone or around other people, and I'm doing the short version. And then there's the community of people who have like minds and interests. Uh, for those of us who are artists or, or art lovers, then we'll, we'll have that interest, and we can usually find uh, each other. The concern was the fact that in most of our communities in the larger cities, particularly, there's gentrification going on. And so that is happening in Bronzeville as well. And so we have an influx of white folks moving in, Asian people moving in, Mexican people moving in somewhat. It's still predominantly black. My point is this. If we're all going to get past the, the polarization of negativity about who we are as human beings, then we must communicate. We must speak with each other. We must be around each other. I'm not saying we have to marry and live next door and all of that. If that's what you want to do, that's fine too. 
But what I'm saying is if we keep ourselves separate, we don't educate ourselves, then we're never going to gain the respect of each other. And so even if the community is changing, if the community becomes all something else or a mixture, the need to know African-American truths are important to everybody. And everybody's heritage and history is important to everybody. So I see no stopping of the Southside Community Arts Center, regardless of who walked through the doors. That's my answer. The three of you mentioned the idea of gentrification as part of your work in some ways, and you know, both as a, you know, an impediment, but also a, an asset. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Devin, you want to give, give us a sense of how you have your hand on the pulse of the community? Um, yeah, for me, is uh, working in a community that I've been in. I lived in Baltimore all my life, so I have a sense of connection to it. And then even, you know, so it's pretty easy for me, but, you know, I'm from West Baltimore, so going to East Baltimore, I find it's this different area. Even though I'm from Baltimore, the culture's a little different, you know, it's in a small city. But, you know, I have respect for every community that I work in, and I'm real big on using conduits. You know, so I do my research, and even if I'm going, like, I want to go to Oakland and work, I'm going to do my research, I'm going to find Oakland photographers that are going to help me get my initiative done. So it's actually doing research and making sure that you're showing respect for the community, you know, and everywhere that I go. And um, so just it's spending a lot of time, too. It's like I'm not a big fan of just, like, parachuting into a place and then leaving, you know, and not really building that connection, you know, as a as a documentary journalist, you know, when I'm working on stories or documenting anything, I always, you know, build a connection to my subject. So I'm very good at, you know, doing my research and getting to know a person and really getting them to take down their guards and really building a, a, a stable connection. And, I, and, I, and I'm real big on just like all the kids that I work with, I go work with another set of kids, but my kids can, I'm very accessible, my kids can still reach me. So it's building that, 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 that friendship, that, that fellowship, that camaraderie you know, in the long, making it long term. You know, as far as gentrification, it's something that's happened in almost every city that I've went through. I've seen it in Oakland, I've talked to activists in Seattle about it, it's something happening globally. You know, and in Baltimore, the city is changing so fast, but a lot of these places have been starving for so long. And when you talk about Baltimore, you know, I remember when during the uprising, they, um, CNN was showing buildings saying that we burned them down, but I'm like, Ironically, these houses were burned down at, in the 60 riots, and then you had white flight, and then we starved, and then we got hit with crack, and then, you know, and then everything else, you know, so, but then some people see the value in it, and, you know, and then in the city where, you know, we living with so much poverty, we don't see the value in what we already have, so you got places like John Hopkins that can, you know, your house is worth, you know, a million dollars to them, they know that, so they're like, we're going to give you, we're going to lowball you. You know, and it moves you to the county, and and in hindsight, we thinking we're moving on up, mm -hmm. but then actually you you're, you're moving to the county, but now you have to pull public transportation because most people that live in the surrounding counties have public have cars, they drive. So when you're moving from the projects out there, you know you can't afford to you know shop in the type of places. So it's it's. It's, it's sad, you know, and it's something that, you know, that I'm real big on right now because I'm watching places that I grew up are disappearing and I even don't even feel comfortable in certain spaces because it's not, it don't feel like my space anymore. And you're making work about that now too. Um, right? Yes, my, my show, um, similar to some of the work you're doing, um, it's called Spaces of the Unentitled. So I hear this word entitled, entitlement a lot, definitely since uh, post-Trump um, presidency. Everyone talks about entitlement, entitlement, but what about the people that don't have that entitlement? You know, so 
I just made the word up unentitled. And, and what, what I was looking to do is I wanted to bring emotion to the buildings because they're way more than just a vacant building. What about the stories? And you know, I, I crack them open and I go in and I'm seeing items, family portraits. So I start taking these things, you know, and I'm seeing, I got report cards from 1940. I got, you know, stuff from the 80s. I got clothing and I took it and I built installations. So when people come into my show, I want to br bring an emotion. I want to give this place an identity. So the next time when people look at Gingify or buy something, look at the history behind it, see what you're changing and what you're erasing. You know, it's a lot more damage than what you think you're doing. Eric? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, like Masikwa mentioned, I, I mean, I think community is, opens the possibility for complexity and in representation. Um, that uh, when I think about photography and, the, and how we talk about representation in photography or in politics um, is, uh, is lacking or, or in the history of photography is, has been problematic and uh, exclusive. And so I think in, in, in work where I've worked in communities, the the, the the goal was to create community and connect with people and spend a long time getting past um, the problematics of representation. And when I say the problematics of representation, I just mean like getting past the stereotypes, like the images that, that would be, you know, that refer to a kind of violent history of the way in which um, photographers have represented um, people in these places before. Um, but I will also say that on the Four Freedoms Project, one of the, one of the questions we get a lot is, um, you know, well, you're working at the, at the national scale. What about like individual communities where you're working? And we, you know, we're thinking about um, the idea of the translocal, which is a word I picked up working at Apple Shop in Eastern Kentucky, where people are deeply entrenched in Appalachian community, but they're also connected to other communities like in Tanzania that are deeply entrenched in their rural community and, and in other places around the country and around the world. Can and you, so- Can you just say what Apple Shop is? Apple Shop is a, um, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> in the 60s, the sons and daughters of coal miners decided they didn't want to grow up to be coal miners. And so they, um, they created basically at first just a collective and then eventually an institution that um, invests in Appalachian culture and local culture. And, and they've made a series of films over the years. There's now a youth program um, where people, uh, where young people learn to make films and tell, tell Appalachian stories. There's a radio station that uh, values Appalachian music. And um, it's, it's become a, a way of preserving culture in resistance to you know, the economic and political forces that circumscribe um, lives in, you know, the lives of people in, in Eastern Kentucky. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I invented a word too, which, which was, which was anti-partisan to describe how, what, what we're, not bipartisan or nonpartisan, because I don't think anything's neutral. I think it's about, you know, countering the sort of assumptions that we make about the definitions and categories that define us uh, in terms of our identity, in terms of politics, and then um, figuring out ways that we can find community across geographic communities um, to, to 
work together on those things. Rick? Yeah, I think everybody's kind of said most of it. So I just, you know, I just do simple things, you know, just try to keep proximity to the people where I'm working and, uh, you know, and not make it a big deal. I mean, just trying to figure out what people do, what they like to do, and I try to do it, you know. If it's playing dominoes, going to church, shooting some pool, basketball, do it all. Can, can you talk a little bit more about your... Um, a couple of times you, you, you mentioned Joseph Boyes and his ideas about social sculpture and, you know, how art is within all of us and, you know, society itself could be thought about as art. And it's something I see that runs right through your, uh, you know, your projects. And can you talk a little bit more about that connection with, uh, with conceptual art and sort of how that informed you to do what you did? Yeah, I think I think at the core of what I'm interested in as an artist is is kind of you know how we perform as human beings, how we perform our highest task that is being building a humanity. And, uh, and you know, and I think in, in the Boisean sense, you know, uh, you know, we've been failed by so many different systems of doing, you know, from, um, I mean, uh, religion failed us, politics is failing us. And, you know, so there's always, you know, you know, as a species, we're always trying to figure out how, what, what vehicles can we use to kind of help us move our humanity forward. And, uh, and I just think that the Joseph, I mean, this concept, I mean, he's, he kind of framed it, you know, social sculpture, but there are many people, you can even talk about John Dewey, you know, who, you know, talked about art as experience and, you know, and, and trying to, and the conceptualist, you know, uh, uh, dematerializing the object so we can really get to the crest of, you know, what it is that we're, we're all about, which is, um, you know, trying to figure out how we use our creativity to improve the place that we have to live in and, uh, and trying to, you know, I think the whole point of social sculpture is to, to really create, is trying to create platforms through which people can actually encourage the creativity of everyone and not, you know, try to uh, uh, hoard that as, as a sacred ground sp specifically and only for artists or for you know, artists in the traditional sense. Um, one of the things that I, I remember speaking with Gordon Parks about uh, years ago was um, his understanding really when he was just beginning as a photographer that uh, African-Americans had very little control over their own images. And it was one of the things that really made him you know, pushed to, uh, you know, want to learn photography and be a photographer. You know, I wonder about how, you know, I mean, he he often uh, also would um, would work really hard to do research and and uh, you know understand a person or a place or a community before he'd ever even bring a camera there. Um, I, I wonder, like Devin, how 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 connected are you to those ideas, you know, and, and you know, I, I see your work as being, you know, really important in helping young people to understand that, you know, you have to take control of your own image and make your own images. Yeah, definitely. Um, photography, you know, for me, 
when I'm working on projects, even outside of projects, I just fin I finished up a story uh, about the opiate crisis for BuzzFeed, you know, and I followed a recovering um, addict, you know, but I spent like six months with him. You know, the first time we met, I gave him a copy of my book. I met with him and his counselor. We chilled. Then we went to his house. We did crossword puzzles. You know, I went and met his family. You know, just to, you know, get to know him, you know, and really build that connection. And in turn, you can, it comes through. And the photography, you can tell when, when your subject is comfortable, you know. But um, it's very important that we tell our own story. I didn't understand it either. You know, I was just taking pictures and document. I didn't know I was documenting. I just, you know, I, I, I found myself, you know, just... It, I just didn't see any images of myself anywhere, really, you know, like growing up. Photography wasn't in school. It wasn't in history books or anywhere. And um, I really f realized that a lot of the history definitely is in the f Black Family album. You know, like we documented our own stuff and families, you know, but we all got, grandma got a whole bunch of pictures or aunt or something, all the cookout pictures. And then... Um, Aaron Brown from the Smithsonian, who, who mentored me, reached, gave me um, Deborah Willis's book and this film called Through a Lens Darkly. And after I watched that, that's when I understood right then and there what I needed to do. So that, so now I even switched the way I teach kids. You know, it was just about you know me being so successful and being accessible to them, showing them how to do it. And then in turn, I had to teach them how to digest it. You know, and then that's why it's um, super important just to spend that time. You know, but I definitely love the way. You, Gordon Parks could connect to his subjects. You know, you can tell that he respected what he was photographing. Even for me to this to this day with representation, I had a gig to go document the Women's March in DC and I said, I'm not a woman. Go hire a woman photographer to do it. You're not meant to document everything. You know, sometimes it's better to just pass those stuff, those things off. And I found that out when I was in Salzburg, Austria and I snuck into a Syrian refugee camp and I found myself not being able to tell that story in the image because I didn't really truly understand. Instead, I put the camera down just to play soccer with the kids, hear their stories, and sometimes I judge a photographer and sometimes a photographer knows when not to take the picture and that really makes you a good photographer knowing when not to snap. Sometimes it's better just put the camera down. So I judge photographers off that too. It's not about um, always taking a picture. Sometimes you gotta put the camera down and really enjoy that moment and the essence of that time. And understanding that you cannot, you know, tell this story. It may be better for someone else to tell it. Um, I mean, there's two sides to this. There, you know, artists working in the communities, and then there's community building uh, that takes place at a sort of institutional level that then helps to support artists to do what you do, and. All of you are, are, are working kind of across this. Eric, do you have uh, thoughts about that in terms of like community building and the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, we're trying to build a community of, of artists or of people to feel comfortable using their creativity uh, to reimagine the biggest, you know, the ways in which their lives are shaped, you know? Um, it's kind of unlocking the possibility that creativity and, and art as one form of creativity could be a way, I mean, that's what we're promoting, could be a way of engaging with public life. I mean, the funny part, and Rick and Devin, you both just mentioned, it's pretty simple in a way to like spend time with somebody and get to know them. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, do what they do or, you know, like get to know, just spend time. But um, 
within the institutions that like are actually set up, uh, whether it's educational institutions uh, through schools or, or um, you know, philanthropy or, or community institutions, funding institutions, city governments, it, that idea of, of just like um, humanity being a way of uh, engaging in community and is, it seems to be more difficult for whatever reason. And so uh, it seems like artists are able to work in that way a little bit more nimbly. Um, yeah, um, I just want to chime yeah. in. Yeah, because this is really about, because I love like what you're doing. Like I've had, I have a show with For Freedom, you know, but y'all reached out to Micah, you know, the kids that go to Micah that curated the show. Mm -hmm. And they actually, you know, went out and got, you know, me who was a local artist and they got my friend who was a local artist. So it's also just, it's big on collaboration, just like collaborate. And I think a lot of institutions overstep that bounds because they think they have all the answers just because they had the funding. Yeah. Sometimes it's best to reach into the community and pull a leader out and say, hey, you know, Let's You're collaborate. Already doing this you stuff. already doing this. Yeah. Let me elevate you yeah. and and amplify your voice in the work that you're already doing. You know, like you know, a lot of people that are doing good work just do the work. I know so many amazing activists and people on the ground that don't know how to write a grant. Mm -hmm. You know, they just do the work and figure it out. But you know, it's a communication and collaboration that when it happens and then it works and it works really well. I will say also that the Southside Community Arts Center, being an institution has really taken on some procedures and processes that continue to invite the community in. And that's important. To have a space, an actual physical space in which someone can go to, to be reaffirmed, to learn, to be appreciated, is really important. And the Southside Community Arts Center has always functioned as, as those incubator, or as an incubator, uh, before people knew about incubators. Um, people will come to the Southside Community Arts Center and, and start their organizations because they had a place in which people could come to. Mm -hmm. So for an example, Kumba Workshop, founded by Val Gray Ward, started at the Southside Community Arts Center. And Africobra, early days at the Southside Community Arts Center. Obasi, uh, Darlene Blackburn, and we can go, that's dance, and we can go on AACM. And so what the institution does is kind of uh, intertwines and connects generations. And when that happens, it's a strengthening mm. of the community. If I can say, I went to the Southside Community Arts Center, which I can, <laughs> um, so I, you're looking at the past, the present, and the future looking at me. Uh, I was a teenager when I walked through the doors of the Southside Community yeah. Arts Center. And then we had the young man I talked about, Ramon Static, uh, who's now in his 30s, would be the next generation. He's walked through. Then we have the 20-somethings uh, that are coming through the Southside Community Arts Center. So institution building, we all are doing is if we connect ourselves to one, and if we don't, individually, we are building as well. Mm. Well, it's interesting to me then how long it goes on. I mean, you know, generations pass it on to the next generation, and a place like the Southside Community Arts Center has been 75 years? Yeah, we, we've gone I into mean, our 78 year. Yeah. We're 78 and years. And so, Amazing. you know, uh, you know, without that incubator or environment, Gordon Parks never would have 
done what he did. I'm, I'm convinced of that. And, and, you know, I'm convinced I might not have done what I've done. I've traveled yeah. the world. I've, I've worked and produced and created in Africa, in Europe, in South America. And, and, and what I'm saying is when I walked through those doors, I got the permission because I saw images of people who looked like me on the wall to be myself. I got permission to follow an artistic career which was not really supported that much. It still isn't supported that much. And, and so that's how important an institution can be. And it'll be there when you come home from school. It'll be there before you attend school. So institution building is mm. vital. Yeah. I have um, one more quick question, and then I want to open it up to everybody. But um, Rick, you're also a teacher. Uh, how do you teach this stuff? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's, it's difficult because I think, um, I mean, there are certain, yeah, there are some basic skills and stuff. And there's, but I think the, the one thing that I'm, I'm drawn to with my students, though, is about Kind of helping them understand what they're uh, really trying to figure out how to be honest about who they are and what their temperament is and what their you know how they deal with life in the world um, because I think one of the one of the things one of the challenges of expanding creativity outward uh, is and institutionalizing it is that people start to do it when they shouldn't mm, yeah. you know and um you know, and I mean, or they start to do it in ways that they shouldn't. So I tell students, you know, as a class, if we're collaborating, not everybody's going to be the person that has the personality that can go out and talk to kids or, you know, seniors or go to a basketball court and play around or whatever, whatever. Everybody's not going to be the person that can do that part. But, but the work embodies a lot more than that. So there may be someone who's a great person that sits back and observe and document you know, and that's you know, so really trying to figure out who they are and uh, and understanding themselves in relation to the work that's done, so they can choose the, so they can do the, so they can be themselves in the work, and uh, and not trying to force themselves to do something that fits the model of how the success stories show that it should be done, because within those success stories, there's multiple layers of how the work happens. I mean, there's been plenty of people that have worked with me in, in many projects that they don't have the personality and the desire to be out front and to be talking about and doing, but, they, but they're, very, they're vital to the work. And so that's the, that's the key to me is trying to figure out who we are and, and, and what role we, we can best play. Good. Um, okay. I... Um... We, we've been kicking around the word community a lot. Um, I think that, you know, in some ways, it, uh, as artists and administrators, it, it's a complex word. We don't always know what it means and, you know, and how to use it uh, best. But I think one of the questions I want to address, uh, not with all of you right now, but be part of this conversation, but I want to ask this of the audience and also invite you all to uh, ask questions of, of the artists here. Um, what is the future of artists working in communities? Where do we go? 
from where we are now. Uh, and it, please, if, if people have uh, other questions. Uh, Commun community is like one of my big words because that's where I work, in the community. That's my studio. Uh, so this dialogue that you're talking about, the institutional way of working in the community, one of the most important things I heard the photographer say was, you don't need to take a picture of this, don't take a picture of this, because it's an invasion when you take a picture of somebody. It's exploitation. It's the same thing as the evening news does, showing these shots that do. And I think that that's more about you than about the subject or the person. So these relationships, because you all seem to be prototypes or models of all actually what you're doing when you're working in the community. You know, it's the international panel up there, you're going all over the world. And so what's been the common denominator that allows you to do what you do in the community? That's an interesting question. <laughs> common denominator. Well, I will tell you this. I believe in order to be successful in what you do, you have to be authentic. You have to be, I don't want to use the word real, but because it's just overused, but real will work. You have to come from a place of uh, honesty, and because people will see that and, and trust. So, um, that is what I believe sets the tone for what I do. And the feedback that I get is that you really love what you do. And in loving what you do, you respect it. And we feel that, and that transcends to us. So I'm going to say a common denominator means to be in love with what you do and in love with the people that you do it with. I love mankind, yeah. mm -hmm. you know. Sometimes I get a little esoterical, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I love mankind, but not ignore reality. Yeah, yeah like um, community, you know, I wouldn't, I'm successful because I have a community around me. You know, like that old saying, it takes a village. Like I have a village around me, and the reason why I'm successful. I have the Gordon Parks Foundation that's backing me. I have, you know, Aaron Brown from the Smithsonian. You know, I have, you know, people like Hank in my corner and Swiss Beats. I, it, you know, every level, you know, as an artist has been my relationships. So when I go and I even collaborate with other artists and I meet other, definitely other artists or want to be artists, I try to give them the tools also, to, you know, like to help build a community around them too. I feel like every artist that's successful has a good community around them and a good network of people, you know, so that's one thing, you know, definitely being an artist and coming from a city where art, you know, I, would, I wish we had something like that in Baltimore. We don't even have rec centers in Baltimore. They shut them all down, you know, so, you know, um, I go into my community, you know, I get looked at a little different, you know, because my community backs me and they hold me to on a high level. Like, mm. if you go around Baltimore and ask about me, you know, like, oh, that's, everybody knows me. You know, and I try to go in and try to activate other artists because I don't have a community of artists with me right now in Baltimore, but we're building. You know, I have amazing writer friends and everything, and we work as a unit, and we move in a unit, and we wake up other artists, and then we get we build around them. You know, so I think it's just building and bringing in more people into, like, this larger, you know, family. Like, I got my boy right here. He's from D.C. He saw I was talking. He came through. That's family. That's the community, you know? 
Yes. Um, good afternoon. My name is Danae Barr, and I'm a Washington, D.C. native, and I'm a visual and performing artist. And I've crossed paths with uh, Devin Allen in Baltimore. He's a blessing to Baltimore. I just want <laughs> to say that publicly and really appreciate it. My question I'm hoping all the panelists will, will answer. Um, I believe that the arts and humanities is really the saving grace of our humanity. And I do believe that across all educational, business, economic sectors, that the arts and humanities can permeate and uplift communities. And so my question is, um, um, how do you usher in positive social change across economic, educational status within your community via the vehicle of the arts and humanities or via photography? Or art in general. <laughs> okay, artists, it's up to you. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it goes back to something that Rick said earlier uh, uh, about social sculpture and, and imagining or recognizing that everybody is capable of, of being an Everybody is an artist and everybody is capable of creating the surrounding, you know, the, the, the world that, in which they live. Um, and I do think, it, I, I mean, I love your description of how you approach your students. I'm going to use that with my students as like, but like, um, I think the best teachers I've ever had are ones that see me, hmm. you know, and, and that, um, that allow me to flourish in whatever way I can. I think, I think you know, um, that's hard in the education system for various reasons. Um, but, you know, and sometimes it doesn't happen in the classroom. So I think figuring out situations where, where people can just be more human, more complicated, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I think that those are the, and thank you for bringing that up, because I, I, I keep forgetting to mention that we're really trying to build a creative infrastructure that values, like, local communities and what's already happening. So we're not trying to necessarily impose a curriculum or a way in which to do this with for freedoms, but to see people where they are. And um, yeah. Yeah, for me, I use photography and, uh, you know, for me, photography saved my life and it's, it's good for healing and self-reflection. So, re so um, post uprising, a lot of us were suicidal, you know, after going through what we went through. I was hospitalized. A lot of my activist friends were to try to commit suicide. So I decided to once again collaborate. You know, I found um, through the Going Post Foundation, they found, they know I'm big on mental health. I always speak on it. And they're connecting with the Institute of Integrative Health. So we decided to do a show about the uprising, but the platform we did was to talk about mental health, post-traumatic stress, and everything else. And then so, and we did, I did a photography workshop with people with, with autism, mental illness, and suffer from, you know, anxiety, and, you know, that helped them digest their, you know, their emotions a little bit better. So um, even I think art is not spoken a lot in the health space, but it really does work, and it really does help people heal and self-reflect, you know. So I definitely feel like art is one, is the thing that makes the world turn. You know, it, it connects us all, you know, and it, you know, it makes life easier. Rick, I have to ask you to chime in on this, too, because you've <laughs> yeah. actually done, you know, a piece of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think what you, what you asked there is really, uh, it is a, 
you know, what you articulated was social sculpture, you know, and, uh, and this idea of everybody understanding their the capacity and potential to be uh, creative practitioners in their own lives, in their own communities. And it's a, it's a uh, you know, I mean, I think that's the thing we have to strive for. But the challenge, though, is that that's a very dangerous thing for society. And that's mm -hmm. a very dangerous thing for power structures. And uh, because no one wants... You know, I mean, in, in general, I mean, you know, uh, the power structure as it is maintains its power based on the powerlessness of others. And to be creative, to know your own creativity is a very powerful thing. And, uh, and so that's a big hurdle, I think, that we, we have to kind of maneuver around because I don't know that it's going to come from uh, institution. It's not going to be institutionally uh, instituted, but I think, you know, through and I'm, you know, I'm excited to sit up here with, you know, folks. I never, I haven't met Devin before, but I'm very excited by him and his energy and and how he came to the work that he's doing. And I think that, you know, um, that's where I'm putting my 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 hope is in 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 the innate ability of people to understand their creative capacity and that yearning desire to do it and and, 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 and kind of emanate that among their circles and to grow it. Well, since you asked all the panelists to yes, speak. Yes, I, I would appreciate that. <laughs> I, I'll say something to that. It's, su it's such a, you know, we could spend a, a symposium on your question. But I will say that art does make a person independent. And it does create independent thinking. So you're absolutely correct. And with that comes a, a few things. I, I think w with that comes a, a wholesomeness, a completeness. And with African-Americans, that's dangerous to the power system because then you're going to have to share power. And what I have done over the years is use uh, art as a way to build self-esteem and a way to search for truths. And when I teach and work with African-American children and any other children, I have to teach heritage and history with the art. That's what I do. Uh, because it becomes then a way of an individual to understand their purpose. And there are so many ways in which we fulfill our purpose. What I have done with young people, I have been teaching young people since I've been young, is create programs that give them self-expression and to, and to support them in any way that I can as long as I believe it's constructive and not hurting someone else. So when you put a computer board in front of someone, if you put a painting brush in front of someone, if you put words that allow them to to express themselves, then we're keeping them off the street. And we're keeping them away from negative things that will destroy them. Because we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying right. to build and create beauty. Right. Even if that means we have to reveal something that's not too pretty. So we have to have a society that supports the arts. And, and art really reaches people because it's visceral. I, I mean, intellectually, that's cool, you know, 
physically, that's, that's great. And you get somebody involved physically in doing something, but emotionally is what we remember. So artists make people feel, mm. whether that's photography or dance or theater, it makes you feel and you come away remembering that experience. And that's what I came up through, luckily, in the 60s. I was young, and it all made sense to me because it, it, it's logical. And when I say it, I'm talking about when you learn the history of this country and you learn about the beauty of Africa and you learn that African-Americans were not always slaves. Our, our history did not start in America as an enslaved African. All of that is important because that's wholesomeness. And, and I teach it through art because I treat art as edutainment. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it from all the panelists. And it's, it's, that's such a conundrum, though, that we do need art as a society, and yet it's dangerous. Like, I, I don't know where we go with, I mean, I do know, like, I, where I go but with it's it, only, but. it. It's only dangerous if you have people in power who are not yeah. righteous. It's, it's, it all, it's not dangerous. It strengthens a society if it's used correctly. Yeah, if you look at like propaganda and like the stigma that comes around black people and how we were presented to the rest of the world th through photography, mm -hmm. you know, that's how dangerous it is. So like, can you imagine if we actually had control of our narrative post-slavery? You know, we were projected to the world as being brutal and savage, like and uneducated. So like, I went to a certain parts of China, you know, they looked at me like, they looked at me like, you know, crazy, you know, and it's not their fault, it's because of what's been projected to the rest of the world. You know, art is very dangerous. Yeah. And that's why I say the best thing to me that came out of integration was the fact that black people, I'm just gonna say black people and white people right now, were sitting next to each other and, and really were, were interacting and it made most of what we learned from our parents a lie. Why am I saying that? Because I was a part of that, that generation that was forced to integrate. And, yeah. and, and it was not very pretty. And, and I said to myself, I said, okay, so we want to be equal to that? You know, that meanness, that hatred and all of that? I don't understand that. I said, uh, what we want is fairness in, in terms of how we study and what our books are and all, and all, of, and all of that. Um, so what, what we learned was, when I sat next to Tommy, and Tommy wasn't that smart. And so-and-so sat next to, for lack of better ways of describing this, Juanita. And Juanita was really smart. Now, she's black. He's white. That's not what we learned. We learned as a society that all white people were smart, non-criminal, uh, and good people. I mean, and then, and then they learned about us, white people learned about us, that we were all dumb, you know, mean, and, 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 and hateful. And, and so when, when we as young people were around each other, we said, these things are not true. So... Yeah, that's still an issue today. When you look at like all like the Trump supporters that have probably never talked to a black person a day in their life, but just haters because of what they, because racism is taught at an early age, you know, and it's still an issue that, you know, for me as a person, like, it, you know, being in an activist community, I moved through, I'm real big on learning. So like, if I don't know something I'm ignorant about, I have a problem about going and learn it. So, you know, like I'm one of the people, as an artist, you know, police officers support me, you know, the community all around. So, you know, so like when I, Talk to people like you haven't even had a conversation, you don't even understand. You know, even, you know, and even when you think about people, how they use to this day, look at, you think about black on black crime and like how that's a big, big issue. But if you look at the numbers when, like, when the FBI released the numbers, it's like you're most likely to get killed by someone you know or in your community. 
So, you know, like, yeah. it's a lot. We could talk about it all day. <laughs> so, so then how does, how, how does art and how do artists um, approach uh, learning the, learn, learning, you know, the power dynamics mm -hmm. in order to, you know, break it down somewhat. Yeah, um, it's about having those diff difficult conversations that no one wants to have. And I feel like art can bring people who wouldn't be in yeah. proximity together. You know, like, I don't call myself a journalist or like a documentary, I, call, I like calling myself a dialogue creator because my work starts, mm -hmm. starts a conversation. You know, like I did a show in Baltimore at the Reginald F. Lewis Museum, and I had one of my homeboys who's from the hood that hustles that's in and out of jail standing next to a police officer looking at the same image. And they was having a deep conversation and they agreed on a lot of points. And I had to walk up to them and say, you know you're a police officer, right? <laughs> but they would never be in, in the same space. You know, this is a police officer who York, lives in York, PA and came to see the work because he was out there. He felt connected to it. And my friend is from Pennsylvania Avenue. He knew Freddie Gray. He was connected to it. They were connected by one thing. So you imagine if I didn't go and take pictures, they wouldn't be having that conversation in the first place. So I feel like Art is a good way to bring people together that wouldn't even move in the same space to have that difficult conversation, which in turn moves us forward. That is so true. Mm. That is just so true. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like <laughs> it's very much about uh, personal interaction. It is. You know, it's, it's not just looking at objects that you connect with. But sometimes but those objects personal. create that yeah, personal, personal connection. connections <laughs> that you know, create dialogues that can help break down, uh, you know, issues and, and teach about. Yeah. But it's also, it's also like alchemical. You can't, like, it's hard to formulate, like, make yeah, this yeah. into a formula. Like, I might see a sculpture here that, like, 10 years from now, I'll think, oh, that changed my life or something like that. You know, it's, right. it's hard to. Yes. Okay, my question is for Mr. Uh, Allen. Um, because black people do not control our image, there's this uh, paradigm that has evolved about positive and negative images. And how do you uh, interact with that idea? Are you, is there a consciousness of, that you approach your work with as a result of that, I, that paradigm? Yeah, definitely. I'm very big on representation, definitely in my community. You know, it's something in the uprising. I was storytelling, you know, so even with images, when I got people smashing police cars, if you see my images, you'll notice that the way that I shot it, you can't tell who it is, you know, because um, I, I don't want to send anyone to jail because I understand the rage at, the, at that point. But I, I, I think consciously, sometimes it's about telling the truth and revealing it because it's really there. And then sometimes you gotta make sure you're not exploiting. You know, just because I'm, for instance, um, I'm from Baltimore, I'm, I'm from a ghetto, but I, if I go to Chicago and I already know the issues in Chicago and I go out there looking for that stuff and then creating that stuff, I'm, I wouldn't do that. That's like, that's what I, I deem like, my moral compass won't let me do. If it's around me, yes, I will document it, but I'm gonna tell the truth about it, but I'm not gonna go and create something that wasn't there that I see happen a lot. You know, so it's all, it's all about, you know, your moral compass, and for me, you know, the way that I document things is to tell the truth and, and invoke feelings. 
but I'm always conscious when I'm documented, definitely rep when representing African Americans. I always, you know, in my book, A Beautiful Ghetto, I don't need to go, you know, even when I worked on the stuff for, for BuzzFeed, I don't need to go shoot a brother with a heroin needle in his arm. That's have been depicted so many times. What I do, let's talk about how strong he is. Let's talk about how beautiful he is, the fact that he can get through those hard times. Same thing in a beautiful ghetto. Everyone knows that Baltimore has 300 murders a year. Everyone knows we, has, we have an opiate problem. Let's talk about the intimate moments that no one wants to talk about. So I'm real big on calm, you know, looking for the beauty in things, you know, because it's not talked about. It needs, to, it needs to be more representation of that, so that's what a lot of my work is geared to. I'm gonna show you the negative, but I'm gonna show you about those intimate and those beautiful moments that people overlook and don't speak on. Let me follow up. Can you give me an example of, say, an image or an artist who you think is not being honest? Say someone from a previous uh, generation. Um. I can do a perfect example. You know, I work, I'm not going to say any names, but I work with a white photographer. Like, once again, I'm big on collaboration. And uh, we got into an issue. I had him working with my kids. So, once again, I became, I, I allowed him to use me as a conduit to get into my community. And he took, he overstepped his bounds. Two dudes were shot in the head execution style. Um, and he photographed them before calling the police. And the, fa the family asked him to take the image down, and he refused to take the image down. I don't even need to explain to you how wrong that is. You know, like, it's a that's the photography, you know, that we can't allow. And, you know, and I felt bad because I allowed him to use, I basically gave him my hood pass. Like, look, he's a good guy. You know, he's going to be documenting and working with the kids, but he had an ulterior motive because now you're, you're he's creating images you know, two guys are shot, you call them, you should take the picture first, and then you, you know, more come back to having a moral compass, that lets me know where your head is at. You know, you have people that just, you know, chase, chase an image and just worried about making money, and then you have, you know, people that actually care, you know, and um, some people, you know, it, you can do that. But once again, if you look at Gordon Parks' work and so many people, if you look at Jamel Shabazz, if you look at a lot of these guys' work, you can see the connection to the subject and how the heart is in every shot. Like I tell you, the best photographers shoot from the heart, not with their eyes, and you can see that in the imagery. Thank you. Any other questions from people in the audience? Thoughts? No more questions for Rick Lowe. Uh -oh. okay. <laughs> um, not, I, I just want to ask you, Devin, on that last point. I mean, don't you think there's something in like the language of documentary photography and in the history of it that um, that makes it hard to get away from that sort of uh, you know belief that the representational moment is going to like that photographer for some reason believed that they needed to get that shot in order to tell that story. Like, um, it, it's, I, it's messed up, but like, yeah, it, it, isn't when, there... It, yeah, when you think about the history of photography, like, you look at, like, war photographers. Right. Do you know, like, they're not really connected to those places. They, they parachute in, do the job, and then leave. Right. Do you know, and, you know, that's something, you know, being from Baltimore and, you know, for, like, like I said, I'm real big on, like, gun violence. So, like, for him to do that, you know, he's not connected to it because you're going to go home and lay down at night. You know, 
and probably get a check from like New York Times or something. You know, whereas though for me, I know how I feel, you know, like I'm connected to, I try, that's why I only document things that I'm connected to once again. And I feel like that's what it, that's when the best documentation comes in, when you understand something. You know, just like you was in Ethiopia for how long? Right. You know, like you were there so long that you built a connection to it. And I think that's where we're definitely in post-social media because the world moves so fast. That, ex, that, that, that piece of journalism has been taken away because people are so, so fast going, next story, next story, next story. You know, because you're constantly scrolling your feed. The world is so much smaller. So you had a journalist, you can spend like a year on a project. And now these guys are coming in, you know, for like five days and then leaving. There's no connection to the community. And that's very, very dangerous because a lot of the photographers that shoot this stuff don't control the narrative. They're not even doing it. They got to edit on the phone, they drop somebody off, they shoot it, send a picture back, and they go on about their business, not knowing how much damage one image can do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's very, very da- dangerous. That's why a lot of photographers that I love, you know, they, they work with something, they've been working with it for a while. Right. You know, like, right. back to you being in Ethiopia for so long. You know, like, you were able to build a connection. In terms, it makes the work better, but it gives you a better understanding of what you document. You know, I feel like certain people don't spend that time with it. It's just about getting a shot, getting paid, you know, worrying about the accolades and stuff like that. You know, like a lot of people ask me like, yo, you could be living in New York doing all these things. It was like, well, I have an obligation to Baltimore, (laughs) you know, right now that, you know, just, I have to be there. So sometimes you have to like put put yourself, you know, take a step back and understanding where the work is going, who the work is for, and what the work is gonna be about. Put the people before the money. You don't put people before no, money. No, I'm never, teasing you. No, never that, never that, never that, never that. That's why, you know, um, still in Baltimore, like I said, I was super pumped. Like, when For Freedom came to Baltimore, they reached out to me. You know, like, that's what art, it, good research, <laughs> definitely in photography. You know, I feel like a lot of photographers don't do research anymore, like, really dive into these stories. Like I told you, I got hit up to do women's campaign. I got hit up to do stuff for the LGBT community. I'm like, go get an LGBT a member that's already understands the issues. They're like, well, we love your work. And it was like, yes, you love my work because of what I document, I was connected to. Right. You know, uh, images. Yeah, we have just a few minutes and two questions here. So why don't you start and then... Uh, my question is really a, a variation on, on a theme because she asked about how do you um, help create social change. And when I look at a lot of uh, inequality, a lot of it is keeping up not only in education but also with technology. But I think about one of the things that you said where you meet a person where the, they're at, it's determined that their identity is deterministic. But I'm wondering how do you help them transform to keep up with the changes going on in society. You want to restate that um, for me just a little more precisely? What do you want from us to answer? You, you, you started with an important point is that as an artist, you meet your subjects where, that they, where they're at, that you recognize them in their activities and, and in their daily life. Mm-hmm. But a lot of inequality deals with disruption. And I'm wondering, how do you use art to help them transform and to keep up with some of those changes? Okay, did you, anyone? um, Okay, my producer hat is coming on. (laughs) And the reason why I say that is because we have like six minutes before we're supposed to be out of the building. And in my head is, I'm there. 
But let me just say this, that this is easier, I think, than people realize. When I say this is easier, to, to be able to incorporate art or to be able to raise somebody's self-esteem or to be able to help people focus in on their purpose um, means that we just have to engage in conversation. We have to listen. We have to give another human being respect which is what that photographer didn't give uh, that community and you when he did what he did. And I said earlier that if we have respect for the people that we work with in life, if, if we listen, if we, if we love what we do, that means that we're not going to do anything that's harmful uh, to the people that we work with. Th that's, that's the foundation of creating good art. And, and you just have to care. <laughs> you know, you just have to care and you start there because we will approach it differently. We'll have syllabuses, we'll have different uh, projects that we're going to create. But if you don't care, don't do it. Get out of Thank our you. way. Right. Uh, and, and similar, you said something earlier, like because y'all doing stuff all over the country, but the fact that you have tapped so many artists and even people that might not be artists are actually activating people. That's what you're doing too, making people realize like, I am an artist, and I have a voice. You're giving people so many, you're inspiring, you know, and I think that's a big thing. You got to keep them inspired. You know, you got to give, sometimes you got to give people a platform for them to even realize what their true potential is. Mm -hmm. You know, like. If you believe in them, then they're going to believe in themselves. Yes. Right. They have to hear that, and that's what art does as well. It reinforces who you are. We all are this, we, we have so many similarities. Yeah. We have more similarities than we don't, but we have our differences. And those differences should be celebrated along with our similarities. And so each individual that walks into your room or into your space needs to know that being that individual is okay. And that's important. So a lot of social work too. One last question. Thank you. My name is Michelle Salcedo. I am a working journalist and I am a past president of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. And I have a comment and I have a question. My comment very briefly goes to the question of why is it okay for some, ima some images that others of us would find disturbing to make it out into print or on television, and that is because we don't have enough people of color making the decisions. It's, it's as simple as that. And until that pipeline gets expanded, and until you have people in the room who are making those decisions, who understand the community and the culture and what might be offensive, and what is okay, those mistakes are gonna to continue to be made. My question is, the title of this symposium is Artists and Communities, plural. I understand that Gordon Parks, and one of the reasons I admire him so much is because he brought the African American community to the mainstream audience at a time when segregation prohibited people from going in and seeing what conditions were like. This has been an amazing day of hearing from the African-American community, but I'm wondering where are the other communities? Where are the Latino communities? Where are the Latino artists? Where are the Asian artists? Where are the Native American artists? And that's my question. Well, that's for the artists or for the organizers of the symposium? <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're 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 there, as you know. And I, I mean I think Why are they here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of this 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's right. Um, I mean, uh, one one thing that that um, makes me think of it, 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 artists and art and communities. I mean, I think about how Gordon Parks, even in the show, navigates so many different communities. Um, he's in Maine. He's in Gloucester. He's in you know Washington D.C. He's in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and. Um, and I think about, you know, as photographers, oftentimes, even when you know a community, even if I'm photographing my own mother, you're transgressing somebody else. You're transgressing, like you're, 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 um, you're, you're, you're going outside of yourself. And I think that's an, the, the idea that, um, you know, the, the importance of building community is so you know, so important as a as a way of of countering the kind of uh, mistakes or discrimination or whatever you want to call it that you're that you're referring to. Um, and you know, I also like admire Gordon Parks for going to all these places and figuring out a way to like find from his heart a way of connecting to these different places. Um, and and making photographs and making work that um, that elevates the humanity of it. And I I was just the the pictures in the show made me think of a. Uh, I recently went to San Juan for the first time, and there there was a just a quick anecdote. There's a a theater troupe there that. Um, after Hurricane Maria was trying to figure out what to do. So they went to rural communities throughout Puerto Rico and they said, hey, can we, you know, we want to help. Can we help you rebuild your community? Can we help you, you know, cut down trees? And the, the local community leader said to them, no, don't cut down trees. You're artists. You're here. You have a, a, a talent and a skill to, you know, inspire and to use your art to create you know, spirit within our community so we can cut down our own trees so we can like rebuild our community. And I think like that notion of like figuring out the way for art to be um, not just an instrument of social change, but uh, a way of inspiring, you know, humanity within all of us to, to, for us to be able to build our own communities. Now I said I wasn't gonna answer, <laughs> but let me just say something to what you posed. And your question was, why isn't this panel or today more inclusive? I think that's an excellent point to bring up and I'm glad that you brought it up. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that now that it's brought up that future symposiums will be more inclusive. That's all I can say. I will say that Southside Community Arts Center is involved with doing exactly that. We've had a Native American collaboration, a Latino co collaboration, and et cetera. But your point to me is so wonderfully made that we as an American society need to be about when we can and when it says it's inclusive should be inclusive. And I, I can um, say one thing and, and then we have to stop. Um, we wanted to uh, focus what we talked about today uh, in relation to Gordon Parks and the exhibition, which uh, it deals with an aspect of history that, you know, that sort of 
helped to form the group that we invited today. And that's not to say that we shouldn't have done it otherwise or that we wouldn't do it otherwise the next time. And I would also say that it's a question we ask ourselves here at the National Gallery every day, we being curators and educators. And so I think it's a totally relevant question and stay tuned for the next discussion because, I, you know, I mean, uh, th there are discussions like this going on at many of the museums in Washington um, often. And so I think, you know, the, the, the more we do it, uh, the more... Uh, the better it gets. I, yeah. Well, the, I was going to say the more... The more questions get answered, but also the more questions that I, I have. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, okay. I mean, thank you so much, thank everyone, you. for coming. And thank you. Sitting through this today. And, uh, this has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.